Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the beautiful USA. Today is the Ides, that is the 15th of March, 2021. Now, this podcast is coming right on the heels of a video I did, a video lecture just yesterday. And I encourage you to go to my uh, YouTube uh, lecture series and watch that before you listen to this episode of the audio podcast, um, because I think it would help you see the uh, coherence between what I've been doing with the video and then before that in this discussion that started out being about aging and the immune response, which it still is, but um, one of the sections that we're doing now is intermediary metabolism. And so the lecture I did yesterday with the video will allow you to see a lot of the uh, visuals um, for pathways and whatnot that I'm going to go pretty quickly over today. So let's just get started with it without any more further discussion. All right, so I'm going to title this particular talk the control of carbon flux in the liver, pancreas, and central nervous system are coordinated. There is a potential axis for immunosenescence and intermediary metabolic regulation. Again, you're listening to Authentic Biochemistry, Dr. Dan Guerra, on the 15th of March. Now, from a paper published in the American Journal of Physiological Endocrinology and Metabolism, in 2016, which I will put in the show notes, we learned the following. Something that we've already discussed in general biochemistry lecture. This is just a recap. Glucokinase, which is a form of a hexokinase, it's isoform 4, of course, catalyzes the conversion of glucose to glucose 6-phosphate. It's the first main reaction in glycolysis. Right? Now, in most cells, the synthesis of glucose 6-phosphate is catalyzed by hexokinase 1. So glucokinase functions as a glucosensing enzyme, not just as the um, catalyst for the synthesis of glucose 6-phosphate, because it has a lower affinity for glucose than other hexokinases, which means it has a 10x KM in terms of kinetics. KM for glucose is about 10 millimolar, whereas the KM, the Michaelis-Menten binding constant for half-maximal activity for hexokinase 1, is somewhere in the 1 to 2 millimolar range. Okay, So this glucokinase is not saturated physiological glucose concentrations, except, unfortunately, in severe diabetes. Now, glucokinase is also another thing about it, besides this lower affinity, for glucose, meaning a higher KM, glucokinase is not inhibited by glucose 6-phosphate, the product of reaction. So the rate of glucose phosphorylation to be, to be dependent on and proportional to intracellular glucose levels, and the liver does not compete for that glucose from circulation, okay? So those are two important reasons why glucokinase is, is a major glucose phosphorylating enzyme in the liver because at high concentrations of glucose, like say, for example, postprandial, that is after a meal, um, the liver is able to take glucose out of circulation and metabolize the glucose 6-phosphate. 
we're using glucokinase. And because it's not feedback inhibited, the, the glucose 6-phosphate can be further metabolized in the liver. And that's exactly what it's doing there. I call it acting as a rheostat. Uh, another way of looking at it is it is a sensor, right? It's a glucose sensor. And of course, it's got to be uh, associated with uh, insulin secretion of the pancreas. We'll see in a moment. So if you graph the kinetics, a straight up plot, we call it, where on the y-axis you have relative enzyme activity, and on the x-axis you simply have uh, concentration of the substrate, in this case, glucose, um, hexokinase will increase in activity almost immediately after adding glucose to the solution, okay? So you have a really, really rapid increase in activity. Glucokinase, however, is not particularly active, again, until you get up to between 5 and 10 millimolar concentration. So you get a sigmoidal curve from glucokinase, and you get a hyperbolic curve from hexokinase. So glucokinase, based on this one plot, you can easily see, only operates at high glucose levels. Now, the reason you have a sigmoidal curve there is that's an also that's also a very uh, stringent uh, indication that you have an allosterically controlled enzyme. Glucokinase is definitely controlled allosterically. And we talked about it at great length in the past. I'm not going to go through it right now because we have other things to talk about. Okay. So glucokinase is abundantly expressed in the liver and the pancreas. And it has two different isoforms with the same kinetic properties I just mentioned to you. But the functions are quite different. So these isoforms are encoded by the same gene, but there are separate promoters which allow for the expression as the transcription of the uh, of gene at the RNA level. And that is going to lead to different splice variants. Those different splice variants are going to give you different polypeptides after translation. So the pancreatic glucokinase is involved in the process of glucose-stimulated insulin secretion. We call that GSIS or G-S-I-S. It plays a key role in that sensing of alterations in glucose levels in serum, and it triggers, of course, insulin release once glucose levels are increased sufficiently to induce glucokinase. So a rise in glucose concentration results in increased cellular ATP, obviously, because you're having glycolysis, and that causes a closure of the ATP-sensitive potassium channel, and it depolarizes the beta cell. So calcium influx through that voltage-gated calcium channel results in insulin release, finally. Okay? Now, hepatic glucokinase supports glycogen synthesis and temporary lipogenesis for storage and then eventual mobilization through the lipoprotein uh, assemblage. So glucokinase mutations in the pancreas and the liver, this is another key feature to remember, have been implicated in type 2 diabetes. And in type 2 diabetes associated with obesity in humans. Okay, so... Now, there, here comes one of the first ways that glucokinase is specifically regulated differently than hexokinase. So glucose taken up, for example, by the GLUT2 transporter um, will do the following. If glucokinase is active, of course, you'll make glucose 6-phosphate, and then that will be converted to fructose 6-phosphate by the isomerase, and then all the further reactions of glycolysis down to pyruvic acid. Now, 
if glucose levels reach a high enough level, the there is a glucokinase um, protein which will bind to the glucokinase enzyme, and it will maintain its residency in the nucleus. So you'll have a GKRP complex, okay? This RP is the protein that binds to the glucokinase. Don't worry, I'm going to tell you a lot about it in a minute. So with high glucose levels, that GKRP dissociates and the glucokinase enters the cytoplasm where it functions as glucokinase to carry out the first reaction of glycolysis. But fructose 6-phosphate which is the first stable product after glucose, 6-phosphate, if it builds up, which means that glycolysis is slowing down, it will be a positive allosteric effector to take the glucokinase enzyme back into the nucleus, binding to the RP protein, okay, making the glucokinase inactive and the glucokinase-mediated glycolysis no longer functional, okay? So that's a key feature of how this uh, RP protein functions in controlling glucokinase activity. Now, fructose 1-phosphate, as sort of an aside, will actually inhibit that movement of glucokinase out of the cytoplasm into the nucleus. And you make fructose 1-phosphate by the ingestion of fructose or high fructose-containing foods, meaning high sucrose-containing foods, because sucrose is a disaccharide of glucose and fructose. And sucrose is the major, the major carbohydrate transported in plants. So sucrose is made in plants, and that's uh, the most stable uh, carbon source in, in plant tissues, including fruits and vegetables. Okay? So high levels of sucrose coming from high levels of plant uh, in the diet will generate fructose 1-phosphate. Fructose 1-phosphate will inhibit the glucokinase transport to the nucleus. That can corrupt this regulation. Okay, First thing to keep in mind. So Paper published in Current Opinions in Lipidology in 2015, I'll put it in the show notes, tells us the following. The glucokinase RP, that protein, was first identified as a protein that bound glucokinase and inhibited its activity in rodent hepatocytes. Glucokinase, of course, is a key regulator of glucose disposal and storage, as I said, in both the liver and the pancreas. And in response to increases in circulating glucose concentration by initiating a signaling cascade that results in insulin secretion, as I just mentioned to you, in the beta cells of the pancreas, and in subsequent hepatic glucose uptake and storage as glycogen and also eventually as lipid. Most glucokinase RP is expressed in the liver, but very little in the beta cells. Okay? So... That's kind of an interesting side note. Most of this removal of glucokinase as a glucose sensor that's occurring is occurring in the liver, okay? not so much in the pancreas. So here's a model of the GKRP regulation for hepatic glucose metabolism. So in the fasting state, glucokinase is inhibited by the glucokinase RP, right? That's the response protein, and, and when it reacts with that response protein, it's sequestered in the nucleus. 
The hepatocyte, of course, is active in producing glucose via glycogenolysis and via gluconeogenesis. Therefore, it is involved in the export of glucose to circulation for use in the peripheral tissues. Now, in the fed state, something different occurs. Glucokinase is released from the GKRP, that protein that binds to it, right? That's the binding protein. Um, it's released from GKRP inhibition by glucose, which binds to the glucokinase. And fructose 1-phosphate, as I just mentioned to you, will bind, bind to the GKRP. So there is a interaction there where high levels of fructose will pull the protein, that is glucokinase, back into the nucleus where it's inactive. But high levels of glucose, which is synthesized 50-50 if you have a high sucrose diet, will pull that protein back out to be glycolytic. Okay, so you get to where that's happening here. So remember too, the glucose phosphorylation leads to the enhanced glycolytic flux because once you trap glucose as glucose 6-phosphate in the hepatocyte, uh, it can't move out unless the phosphatase removes it. And that's regulated also hormonally and by metabolism, okay? So here you get the main picture now, what's going on in, uh, in the liver. Now, there is a mutant of the RP, uh, of that protein that binds glucokinase. And it's a proline to leucine, and so it's called P446L. Now, that variant has a reduced ability to sequester and inhibit glucokinase. And it has a blunted response also to fructose 6-phosphate, which also helps regulate it. Both of those favor the generation of free and active cytoplasmic glucokinase. So the greater the proline to leucine substitution in that in that RP results in the destabilization of the binding to glucokinase, to that binding interface, and you get an altered phosphate ester binding as well. And that explains the inverse correlation between fasting plasma glucose and triacylglycerol levels for that variant, because then the glucose can be converted eventually to fatty acid, and then fatty acids are triacylglycerol in the liver. Now, this occurs because increased hepatic glucokinase activity would result in lower blood glucose levels and a maintenance of energy storage triacylglycerol and glycogen synthesis pathways under the conditions of what would be called a normal glycemia or even under conditions of hypoglycemia, because the glucokinase continues to function, you see. So again, with the wild-type glucokinase RP, you have glucose coming in, the glucokinase uh, synthesizes glucose 6-phosphate. The wild-type GKRP is bound into the nucleus and is inactive, right? However, with the mutation, proline to leucine, you get glucose uptake again, you get glycolysis, but the glucokinase is not bound to that mutant form of the uh, response protein, the one that binds to glucokinase takes to the nucleus, that bound to it. And so glucokinase is functioning continuously and you get then de novo triacylglycerol biosynthesis and accumulation, as well as glycogen production, which is indeed a homopolymer of glucose, right? Alpha-1,6, alpha-1,4 linked polyglycan is what glycogen is. Okay? That's what happens in the hepatocyte 
when you have the mutation in the um, protein that binds the glucokinase. Okay. So now let's talk about CNS glucokinase. Yes, there is one there. Glucokinase is expressed in numerous hypothalamic nuclei, including the arcuate nucleus, the ventromedial nucleus, and the lateral hypothalamic area, or the LHA. Okay, so you have the ARC, the VMN, and the LHA in the central nervous system. So glucokinase messenger RNA has been detected also in the paraventricular nucleus, which is, of course, the PDN, and in the dorsal medial nucleus, uh, which is called the DMN. Now, outside of that whole hypothalamic glucokinase, you also have some medial amygdalar nuclear glucokinase, and that's uh, short uh, for that. Acronym for that is MAN, medial amygdalar nucleus is called MAN in the central nervous system. That's the amygdala. And three nuclei that make up the dorsal vagal complex of the brainstem also express glucokinase. That's called DVC for short. And also the nucleus tractus solitarius or NTS, the area prostrema, postrema, excuse me, and the dorsal motor nucleus of the vagus is also a place where you can find glucose expression. So all those DVC nuclei, those are, again, the dorsal vagal complex. All those nuclei play a really important part in regulating homeostatic glucose metabolism from the central nervous system. So glucokinase is also expressed in glial cells, no less, such as the hypothalamic tannocytes. And I talked about those in previous authentic biochemistry lectures. We can go back and recover all of that when I do my dialectical event ontology of this whole series constellation of lectures, which is going to be coming up here uh, at the end of March, early April. So glucokinase seems to have a really important role in energy homeostasis and, of course, activation, as described before I went through this entire process in the video lecture, okay? So I want you to go back and listen to that video lecture and watch it, the one I did yesterday. And um, that way you'll be more up to speed of, of what I'm not going to talk about right now, uh, since it's strictly to uh, this entire carbon flux. And there I talk more about nitrogen metabolism, but nitrogen metabolism has to do with glutamate, glutamine, alanine moving through the TCA cycle, and also those amino acids being converted to alpha keto acids and used for gluconeogenesis. And that then links up carbon metabolism to carbohydrate level, the TCA level, and even indeed fatty acid metabolism. So that was why I did that lecture yesterday. Now, the neuronal form of the enzyme, that's GK, is thought to play a central role in glucose sensing in what are known as glucose excitatory neurons, or GE neurons. And it's done so via a mechanism comparable to that with glucokinase in the pancreatic beta cell. So there's going to be an involvement of potassium ATP channels in the neuronal glucose sensing. It's a glucose sensing phenomena. Hence, co-localization of glucokinase in the potassium ATP channels had to be demonstrated, and it was demonstrated. Okay, So we're pretty well along the line of understanding that glucokinase is going to play a role in neurotransmission. Okay. So let me explain. Glucokinase activity will lead to cellular depolarization. 
and that's followed by insulin secretion in the pancreatic beta cell or in neurotransmitter release in glucose-excited, that's the GE, neurons. So as extracellular glucose concentrations increase, glucose, of course, is taken up into the islet cell, that would be in the pancreas, predominantly by the glucose transporter 2, and into the neuron via the glucose transporter 3 isoform. Okay? Those are both just two different kinds of glucose transporters. I'm just giving you the detail because this is authentic biochemistry. Now, once in the cytoplasmic space, glucose, of course, gets phosphorylated by the glucokinase because of its KM, right? The coupling of, and won't be feedback inhibited by the product either. Remember that. In the neuron, as well as in the pancreas, as well as in the liver, right? Glucokinase is not feedback inhibited by its product. So what you have here is the coupling of glucose entry with glycolysis and ATP production. And that allows, of course, for a steady increase in ATP concentration. And that's going to inhibit the ATP-sensitive potassium channels, the potassium ATP channels, right? So this prevents the efflux of potassium ions. As a result of that, potassium ions accumulate within the neuron and the membrane potential of the cell increases. The difference in membrane voltage triggers the influx of calcium divalent cations through that voltage-gated calcium channel. Calcium entry causes cellular depolarization now, which in turn leads to, well, of course, you guessed it, an action potential, right? This proposed mechanism then allows glucokinase to function as the glucose sensor by coupling glucose availability uh, with beta cell and neuronal activity along with insulin and neurotransmitter release. Now, this is connected back to the NPY uh, axis, the CCK axis, and the POMC axis that I talked about um, back in um, January of 2021. And we can go back and we will put this all together, pulling all those ariadnal threads back together when we do it, when I do some more of the video lectures. But I want to say that now so that you have that in your notes, if indeed you're taking notes. Now, glucose-excited neurons, right, the ones we just were talking about, the GE neurons, increase while glucose-inhibited GI neurons decrease their action potential. And the frequency of that action potential is what gets diminished as the interstitial brain glucose levels increase. So calcium imaging studies revealed that about 70% of the uh, glucose inhibitory neurons in the VMN are affected by glucokinase inhibitors. And of course, what does that suggest when you do that experiment? It suggests that glucokinase is involved in glucose sensing in GI neurons, as well as in GE. So their activity is reduced in the presence of glucose due to hyperpolarization of the cell via the stimulation of the sodium-potassium ATPase pump, and that's caused by glucokinase-induced rise in ATP levels within the neuron, and that leads ultimately to the inhibition of neuronal activity. So an alternative hypothesis, which has been floated out there in the last couple of years, is that GI neurons, remember these are glucose inhibitory neurons, may become hyperpolarized following glucose-induced activation of postsynaptic cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator. That's the CFTR membrane receptor. And that's, of course, a chloride channel. And that's via the activation of adenosine monophosphate, that's AMP, 
activated protein kinase or AMP kinase. You also get nitric oxide signaling playing a role in that functionality. And I talked about that about two weeks ago in a series of these authentic biochemistry lectures. We're doing a lot of neurotransmission. So please go back and listen to those. Now, as extracellular glucose concentrations increase, glucose is taken up into the neuron predominantly via the GLU3 glucose transporter, glucose is phosphorylated by glucokinase, ATP ultimately rises due to glycolysis, you know, via the gap dehydrogenase pathway and the pyruvate kinase pathway, right? And that stimulates sodium potassium ATPase, the, the glucose, uh, the glucose 3-phosphate dehydrogenase, of course, makes NADH, and the NADH gets reoxidized NAD, and that's where you get the ATP after it moves into the mitochondria, whereas you get 2-net ATP uh, functionally made because of the C6 to C3 subduction, just running glycolysis down to the pyruvate or lactate. Just a reminder. Now, for one ATP molecule, each pump pumps three sodium ions out of the cell and enables the entry of two potassium ions. I just went over that in my neurotransmission lectures. That results in this hyperpolarization of the cell, ultimately leading to a decrease in neuronal firing, right? So this is that whole process I just mentioned. It. Just another summary of it. Now, glucokinase in the ventral medial hypothalamus, right, and the medial amygdala nucleus, then therefore plays a central role in another pathway. I'm going to go through this real quickly because I only have about four minutes. It's called the counter-regulatory response, or CRR, Okay. It's a feedback system to counteract hypoglycemia by increasing the production of glucose and limiting its utilization. So it's characterized by the release of glucagon from the pancreas, which suppresses the secretion of insulin, and it augments gluconeogenesis in the liver and glycogenolysis in the liver. It also augments the secretion of catecholamines and a lot of other hormones from the central nervous system. However, hexokinase 1 is also expressed in those VMH, um, uh, neurons, and you get glucose sensing, those are glucose sensing neurons as well. They have a much higher affinity for glucose. Remember, that's about one millimolar per liter. Now, unlike glucokinase, its kinetic properties prevent it from modulating its activity according to the ambient glucose concentration. So in the VMH, hexokinase appears to drive the metabolism of glucose to maintain a constant supply of ATP, just running its own reaction regardless of fluctuations in extracellular glucose concentration, because it's not a glucose sensor, you see? Whereas GK, glucokinase, acts as that glucose sensor in the neuron by biochemically coupling glucose flux to the cellular process that can be distinct for cellular ATP production, only in that ventromedial hypothalamus. So the v, the, that VMH glucokinase having a piv, has a pivotal role in inducing this so-called counter-regulatory response to hypoglycemia. Because in, here's another way to know that, injecting glucose inhibitor allozan, which is a non-metabolizable uh, polysaccharide, into the third ventricle, impair that CRR to hypoglycemia in a rat model. And there's much more to say here about appetite control and the POMC nuclei versus the NPY nuclei. And I refer you to that discussion from last month's lectures, and I'm going to do a complete dialectic on that soon. Right now, let me finish with a dialectic, a short one. Number one, GK is in the neuron. Two, control over glycolysis via GK mediates neural transmission. Three, neuronal GK further functions on the appetite satiety axis that's partially regulating the HPA axis. Four, aging and immune-associated dysfunction of these glycolytic systems are going to be obviously revealed to be associated with neurodegeneration 
and the loss of neuronal action potential mediated learning, memory, and even mood. Therefore, metabolic control of the severity of chronological age and the immunosenescence of the CNS can be exacerbated by visceral obesity, thus linking the central nervous system decline to the major causes of morbidity and mortality in the aging human population. Okay? So that's where I wanted to get to, and I made it. It was a bit of a, a sprint there towards the end, but I wanted to leave you with that mini dialectical um, expression so that when I start building up all my dialectical uh, expressions, you'll be able to take those conclusions and run back into the premises and see where I'm coming from when I put together the entire event ontology of aging, the immune system, and metabolism. Of course, LinkedIn there is going to be immunosenescence and the epigenetic modification of the immune system, metabolism, and of course, the aging process itself leading to morbidity and ultimate mortality in the human population. So I'm going to stop there. This again is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry. I hope you enjoyed that. And I will be coming back real soon. So all I have to say now is what I always say at the end of my lectures, bye for now.